This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined today from the Hanua Rangers from, by Alison Clear. Welcome, Alison. Good morning, Sam. Nice to, nice to chat with you. How was your bubble life? Um, my bubble life was lovely. I really, really enjoyed lockdown. Um I don't know if you're supposed to say that, but it was really nice to actually be at home. Because we live out in the country, um, which we enjoy and wouldn't change that for anything, um, It was it, it's such a long way to drive into Auckland City to work. So the only way that you actually get to do it and avoid the traffic is to leave home at 6 o'clock in the morning or um, and then come home at 4 o'clock or have great big long days. So being allowed to stay home all the time and work online was bliss. Do you think that might stick for you? Oh, I'd love it too. I'd love it too. But um, unfortunately, not everybody can see that you um, work hard when you're at home and they can only think you work hard if you're sitting at your desk. Even if that turns out to be less productive? Even if it turns out to be less productive. So tell us about your farm. Some people, some people like presenteeism, don't they? They do. Not me. I like production. Tell us about your farm. Okay, we've got um, 21 hectares there. Oh, no, that's not quite right, Alison. 19. We just sold off two hectares last week. Um, we've got 19 hectares, and when we bought it, it was just all covered in bush, uh, um, gorse and scrub. It wasn't very good, so we spent a long time weekend after weekend after weekend um, trying to get it into some sort of manageable state, which we have now five years today since we shifted into the house. And we bu- built a house on it, um, and we've got a barn as well, and we lived in a, a, a tiny house for a year while we were building. Um, so the farm now has still got a lot of gorse. It's all in flower at the moment, which looks very pretty but very horrible. Um, we've got... Um, seven alpaca. We've got four mums and three Korea. Um The Korea boys need to be taken off their mums, so that's another job for this afternoon. Um, we have six sheep, seven sheep, six sheep and six ewes and a lamb. Um, we're hoping for about four more lambs before the end of this lambing season, so that's by the end of August. Uh, what else have we got? We've got ten cows. Um, we just... Um, heifers, young ones, but boy, are they escape artists. They see something they'd like better than our place, they they escape. Touch wood, they've been in the same paddock for three weeks now, so that's pretty cool. 
And then we've got four chickens and four ducks and heaps of pukeko, which I don't like. The pukekos and the, the pukekos and ducks don't get on. No, not at all, because the ducks create these ducklings, um, but they don't last very long because the pukekos see them and think, hmm, they've just created lunch for me. So, so with the pukekos and the hawks that fly around, our ducklings don't have a chance. So this moving out to the country, is this a long-held dream? Um, no, it wasn't a long-held dream of mine. It was a long-held dream of my daughter's. Um, she just loves animals and always wanted to be a vet, but circumstances when she first went to university didn't work out, and she then decided to be a nurse, which she did, but she always wanted to live on a farm and play with animals and do lots of exciting things. We used to have lots of goats as well because she decided one time she was going to make goat's cheese, so we got goats and milked them. Um, and then she said one day when we were thinking, oh, is it about time to make another move? She said, why don't you buy a farm? We'll look after it. And you can just build your dream house. So we thought, oh, okay, we'll try and do this. So we bought this really rough block of land because that's all we could afford at the time. Um, and they helped. They worked really, really hard with us in the beginning, trying to clear enough to make a bit of a farm. So we're all established here and um, working hard. And then she announced one day that they were going to go and live in America. So they emigrated to the US and left Tony and I on the farm by ourselves. Let's, which when you're working full time, it's not actually easy. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Whitney yep. Houston, Greatest Love of All. Why this one? Uh, because I like the lyrics. I really love the lyrics when she says the children are our future and not enough people think about that because they are. And we should be concentrating on that a lot more. Even if they clear off to America? Even if they, yeah, even if they decide to go to America.
how are they doing in America? Yep, they're doing really well. Um, they've gone away on holiday this week, so um, we talk to them about once a week. And Messenger is fabulous when you can video call your kids all around the world. She's um, a nurse. So she's a nurse. She's a nurse. She was a charge nurse of emergency for many years, um, and that's what she was doing when she first went to Oklahoma. But now she's been promoted to director of risk management for her hospital. And, of course, that's really full on at the moment with all their ICU beds filled up with COVID-19 patients and all their respirators being used. Um, yeah, it's a busy time for anybody in health. That must be a scary thought, mustn't it, knowing that we're, we're at capacity. Exactly, they're at capacity in their hospital and um, it's the COVID-19 infections are just you know, a huge risk for that hospital. Do you, do you get over to see them much? I did, until lockdown. Yes. Um, yeah, I had planned to have been there right now, actually. I have a meeting, which is now a virtual meeting, and I, I usually try to tack on a week to see them twice a year when I have to travel for meetings. Um, and when, when all of this struck and we went into our lockdown bubble, um, I said, oh, I'll come and see you in October but I don't think I'll be going in October. I don't think we'll be travelling again this year, will we? So, or, yeah, I miss not year. actually seeing them. Oh, don't say that, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go and see them. But you were in the States when this all got real. Yes, yes, we were in the States. Um, I'd actually had a meeting organised in Japan, um, and... Then I had the big conference with the award in um, in the States. So we spent quite a few weeks wondering if we were going to go to Japan. Every the uh, All 15 of us had our tickets booked. And then the people in Japan said, no, they were going to just cancel everything. So I then had to quickly change my Japan meeting to somewhere else. So um, Atlanta in Georgia is, is a hub. And it's much easier for my people from around the world to get to. Um, our representative from China just wasn't going anywhere anyway, because by then um, China was well into lockdown in January, um, even though she's in Beijing. Um, so she wasn't tra traveling at all. But the rest of us, I tried to work out somewhere that was central that we could easily get to. Um, and it was Atlanta. So I flew to Atlanta at the beginning of March when nothing much was happening here, or in the US for that matter. Um, and we had our meeting, and then I had to fly up to Portland in Oregon. Um, and so Tony was going to fly up there too. And, and as you know, he had a stroke 18 months ago. So he was traveling on his own for the first time, which I was a bit nervous about. Um, but I met him in Portland, and then my daughter and her daughter, my granddaughter, flew up to Portland to meet us too. So... That's when it all blew up and happened. Um, and while we were at the conference, the conference was going to start on the Thursday morning. Um, and we had the pre-conference meetings and workshops on the Wednesday. And then Thursday morning, um, I got up and got all dressed up to go and do my keynote. And, and the time it took me to walk from my hotel down to the conference center, the conference was cancelled. And this was because the governor of Oregon at 11 p.m. the night before cancelled all meetings over 500 people. 
um, and this meeting, this conference had over 2,000. So the, the organisers were absolutely devastated because they didn't know till they woke up at half past six in the morning that he had declared no meetings and they had to cancel the conference. And, of course, the 2,500 people had already arrived in Portland by that stage, including Tony and my daughter from Oklahoma. So did the conference sort of carry on, like, in the the hotels around just as individual groups, or did everybody just get on a plane and, and scatter? It, it, everybody got on a plane and scattered. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was quite amazing. Some people who were travelling on the Wednesday – who were supposed to travel on the Wednesday had chosen not to travel. Um, but for people like us that, you know, you have to get there a day in advance um, just to acclimatise and find out where you're going. Um, yeah, there were just heaps and heaps of people there. Um, and then, of course, the huge, massive um, rush to change all their tickets, all the US-based people, they were all changing their tickets um, to get back early. I tried to change our tickets, but it was going to cost as much as the ticket that I'd originally paid. It was going to cost that much to get home. So we thought, oh, well, we'll just stay the couple of days and we'll go and explore Portland, which we did. It's, of it's... course, Portland's got that fabulous bookstore. Um, and so that was um, – we managed to spend half a day just in the bookstore getting lost and Powell's bookstore, it's called, um, with another friend of ours, Lisa. Oh, yes. I was supposed to be swimming down the, the river at Portland last oh, week. Oh, right now. Last week, week before. Oh, last week, I think it is. Um, I think it's seven bridges or ten bridges or something. It's a, it's a big, yeah, a, a long swim race that I was I was supposed to be doing. But that's not happening. But Portland's also the centre of pro ongoing protests. Yes, absolutely it is. I read about those and think, gosh, I was only there in March. Do you... Um, when you, when you hear about those, is it in the area that you were were staying? You yes. would have been staying in the downtown area. Yes, it is. It's in the downtown area, which is where we were staying, and and where the protests are. What it's award? All quite we... scary, really. It is. What award were you getting? Did you get? Did it turn up in the yes. post? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was um. They were going to present it that morning. That's why I'd got all dressed up and. Um, they were going to present that. It's the um, it's ACM, which is our big international computer society, um, and this is the special interest group on computer science education. And I've been involved in that for more years than I like to remember. And the award was the um, for lifetime service to computer science education nationally and internationally. Well, well done. So, thank you. So for getting that award. Um, they, we were going to go for dinner that the um, the first night of the conference. We were going to have dinner with the chair of um, sixty and some other really important people. So instead of doing that, they put on a um, a cocktail party for the people that were still left that hadn't been able to change their tickets. So we went up to the cocktail party and they presented my award there. Oh, but I didn't get to make my wonderful keynote speech, which I'd even practiced. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, ko tahohau. We hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. 
And I really hope that whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very fulfilling, and it's illuminating for you more and more each day who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here making things better. Thank you. So I've had a wonderful day and I'm so excited to talk to you all about it. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, I have been out at my heart's home, Orokanui Eco Sanctuary today, with a few very different groups. And I've just been struck today by this real sense of contribution, valuing the contribution of everyone that I've come into contact with. And just marveling and marveling the diversity and the multitude of different gifts that are being offered constantly by all the people around me and there's such diverse gifts and of course my gifts are coming in also and so today I welcomed the beautiful Otago Boys High School to do their NCEA plant study and this is not something that my brain is particularly adept at so I'm very grateful that I have the brain of Taylor Collies Davy, who I work with who is fantastic and is a botanist and can see all of these structures all of these ways of understanding beautiful plants and the program that we run for year 12 and 13 is all around pattern seeking and of course as a species of animal we love patterns we love finding meaning constantly we're looking for meaning and we're ascribing meaning to the beautiful world around us that holds us and of course for all of us we've been moving together and co-evolving through this very unprecedented emotional roller coaster lockdown level four level three level two now here we are in level one returning to consensus reality but with new ways of doing things new ways of seeing new ways of feeling new ways of being together with a focus on sustainability so of course understanding our native plants and their forms and how this could be affected by climate change and habitat loss, other environmental aspects are very important for our future. And understanding what unique gifts our native plants have to share. Many of them are not found anywhere else in the world. We're so lucky to have them here. And of course our native animals have evolved to feed upon them. And the Takahe were out in fine form. And of course they're another wonderful, wonderful species that is only found here because the tussock and tuckahe have evolved together the tuckahe can eat the tussock and it will regenerate but of course with the red deer they haven't evolved together and when the red deer eat the tussock they can't regenerate so whilst we are all contributing at all times precious precious gifts some of these gifts are best suited to other environments and I think we can really have a think about this moving forward collectively as a dream team of five million and counting what gifts do we want to share what gifts do we want to bring to the fore 
how do we want to contribute individually towards a sustainable future for our paradise home, our Teodora New Zealand, and for our paradise planet on a global scale. And I had a wonderful, wonderful therapeutic group this afternoon. Three rangatahi who have been having a difficult time. And one young man brought his guitar and he played his guitar really for the, the whole time, about four hours. It was so beautiful. And all the birds came down to see him and all the birds joined in and sang with him because what he was contributing was so perfect. It was perfectly harmonious and in tune with the real world, the living world, the natural world. And the whole sanctuary rejoiced in his presence and in the beauty of the music, the beauty of the gift that he chose to share. And I really hope that for all of you, you're finding ways to share your gifts. And I hope that they're being very well appreciated. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Ka kite. So what work have you been doing from home? Um, I've been teaching my class online. Um, I work for Eastern Institute of Technology and we have a, um, a campus in Auckland for international students only, for postgrad courses only. So we have postgrad in health science, postgrad in applied management and postgrad in IT. So that's a postgrad diploma and masters in all of those six programs. Um, and it's international students only. So I'm teaching, well, I um, chose, was asked to double up my teaching in term one. We had, um, we start a lot later than most other educational institutions for a variety of very good reasons that they chose to do five years ago. Um, so we were only going to start two days before lockdown. So that was orientation, was two days before lockdown. Um, and Tony and I got back from the States on Tuesday the 17th. And that's when they, Monday the 16th was when they had the two weeks compulsory self-isolation. So we had to go straight into self-isolation whether we liked it or not. And we didn't mind. We came home, the freezer's full of food, and bought some milk on the way, keeping our distance from everybody. Um, and we were fine. So we were in self-isolation for the week of the 16th of, or 17th of March. And then, of course, the next week, everybody had to go into lockdown. So we had, in our institution, 48 hours notice to put our courses online. Uh, luckily, yeah. half of mine was online anyway, because that's the way I like to do it. Um, it was really blended. So then all I had to do was convert the other ones to make them make them online as well and it worked really well so I just taught online for um, two lots of four hours a week because I had two big classes um, and we managed to see each other and get the work done and in some in some ways it was better than actually being there face to face um, some ways it wasn't as good but it certainly worked out okay and the students all achieved really well so that's you and Tony teaching from other ends of the kitchen table? Exactly, yes. We we decided to stay both in the um, in the dining room here because the office is down the other end of the house and it was a wee bit cold. Um, so we just sat at each end of the, the table. He was supervising all his students that he's got um, 
PhD and master's students, and he was just supervising them from the other end of the table. Uh, the, the students and I were, was teaching my class twice a week. So you were lucky that the students were had managed to get in just before lockdown? Uh, yes. Um, some of the students had come and it was their first semester. I only teach second semester students, so mine were all here anyway. Um, and they had done their first semester at the end of 2019. And this was their first um so they were into their second semester. We're actually in quarters, so this was their term three. So, and you're going back to face-to-face -to -face teaching? It's gone. Um, we On our campus, we had to stay in um, online teaching for term two because it, we weren't back to level two by then. Um, and yes, but for semester two or term three, it's totally back to face-to-face -to -face teaching. I have personal opinions about that because I think we learned so much um, with online teaching that we could deliver something really excellent in a blended way. And I think that would help everybody. But we've got semester two to discuss that and try to look to do something next year. Yeah, so most, yeah, our, our students were mainly onshore students. So that was good. Onshore international students. And I had overflowing classes. So. And they're really and, and they're from all around the world. So did you did you get a feeling from them about the the experience that they're having? It, it must be kind of weird being here, knowing it's safe, but also kind of having that that kind of wanting to be home. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They talked about that because we. I, I thought you can't just jump in and give them all this knowledge and information and 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 not really think about how they were feeling themselves. So we did have used to have discussions about how they were, how their families were, how they were keeping in touch with their families, and also how they were coping here in a very strange, different environment than their home countries, um, and how they were coping with that too. So um, that student voice, I'll be talking about at a conference in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, sorry, mid-September. Gosh, time's racing on, isn't it? It probably is only a few weeks' time. Um, so... They had difficulties. They had a, they had a lot of different difficulties um, going to the supermarket, uh, part-time jobs. Some of them were working in supermarkets part-time and being asked to work much longer hours. So they weren't allowed, but then the government stepped in and extended the 20-hour-a-week work so that they could go and do that. So online learning was really good for them then because they didn't actually have to do their their work in that two or four hours a week. They just had to participate in my um, my online session and then they could do that they could do their work for my class at any time and then they could work at any time. So that actually that part they really liked. Um, I also was pretty mean to my students. I divided them up into groups of five um, and I chose the groups. They didn't get to choose them. I chose them at random. And they had to get to then meet four other people that they'd never met before. So they used WhatsApp groups um, and, all, and other social media um, platforms and met a whole lot of other people. And that actually helped with their isolation as well, that they were having to talk to people in their class they hadn't met. Um, that. And then after they'd done all that and we'd had online presentations from them, I then divided them up into groups of five, again, totally different groups. So they got another lot of people that they had to meet 
virtually and talk and discuss with um, that they appreciated. I was a bit nervous about it myself, thinking, gosh, they'll probably get bad student feedback for this. <laughs> but no, I didn't. I got good student feedback. So that helped with their isolation, with their not knowing people, um, and with having to deal with this being away from their families and wondering how their families were faring. You talked about going to conferences. You're not physically going to conferences. Um, I'll physically be going to this one in September. Is it just um, down the because, road? Yes, they're international. <laughs> one's in Napier, one's in Rotorua. Um, I won't phys physically be going to any, um, any like I should on Tuesday be at a meeting in Vancouver for the, the um, ACM Education Advisory Committee. Um, that's an international group. Um, but no, that's virtual. And our virtual conference, our Frontiers in Education conference, was to be in Sweden at the end of October. No, nope, that's virtual too. The only one I haven't made a decision about is the one that I am the program chair for. That's the Learning and Teaching and Computing Education Conference, which was supposed to be in Vietnam in April, and we postponed it till December because we thought, oh, that's just so far away. This yes. is all going to be over by December. Now we're trying to think, oh, goodness, are we actually going to um, postpone it again or cancel it or make it virtual? You're doing lots of work around the world. You've You've got big projects on. Yeah, I've got two big projects on at the moment. Um, the big one is called um, Computing Curricula 2020, and we're looking at um, all the approved computing curricula. So these are the guidelines for when you're um, creating a new program in your country, in your institution. Um, and ACM and IEEE, Computer Society, have approved six different computing curricula. So my project is to do an overview of them all, see um, how they're different, see how they're the same, um, to provide visualizations for um, each of the curricula to see how your own um, degree program will match against the approved curricula internationally. You know, you don't, because everybody's um, institutional program will be different because of you, where you live, um, even Auckland and Dunedin will have different programs because you'll have things that your industry want that aren't valid in Auckland or the other way around. Um, so these are just guidelines, these approved programs. So we're also creating visualizations where you can map your program against the guidelines to see if your program is more CS or more software engineering. And we're also mapping the approved curricula against each other so that um, you can look and see what you might like to do. Like if you're a potential student and you say, oh, I'm going to go into IT, the first thing that we would have to say is IT means something different in different places in the world. So we've got nomenclature issues as well. If you're in America, you're going to say you're going into IT. is very different than going into IT in New Zealand. Um, so what we've done is created a visualization where the student can pick the things that they actually like from a knowledge, a landscape of knowledge table that we created, which is all the knowledge from all the programs. And then they can pick their own disposition. I'm a really meticulous person or I'm a really uh, outgoing person. They pick their own dispositions. And then the 
visualization will spit out for you types of programs and types of areas that you would be interested in so that you would know yes I'll join a Bachelor of Information Systems rather than a Bachelor of Computer Engineering. Um, so that's the big project that's been going three years it's due to finish at the end of 2020 but of course COVID-19 has put a big damper on creating the visualizations that people that were doing it for us have all just stopped and run away home. Um, we did send the um, this is a global project, so we've got 50 people from 20 countries. Um, and we sent the draft report out worldwide in May in the middle of all of this. But we've got hundreds and hundreds of replies, and we're just working through them at the moment and updating the report, which will then go to um, ACM and IEEE for approval. And we still hope to publish in December. The visualizations won't be complete by then, but the prototypes will be. Do you think that the pandemic has prompted any sort of rethink or, or given any insight into things like computing education? Um, yes, it, it, it has in terms of the way we deliver the computing education. Um, and, and this is a double-edged sword um, because um, even my colleagues all over the world, I mean, we've got um, groups that we talk to and they say, oh, I've got to put everything online or I have to do it blended now. And there's a, a, there's a problem that you could fall back into is just doing your videoing your lectures and putting them online. Whereas we'd actually moved away from this, um, from a, a classroom where you lecture and then the students go away, then you give them an exam. We've moved away from that now. We've got much more constructivist classrooms. We're doing transactional teaching where the student where it's student led and we're, we're much more student involved um learning to do that online um for educators is quite difficult so you tend to fall back to what you know oh i'll just video this lecture and then the students can look at it um so the pandemic has definitely made us rethink what we're doing but we really have to duplicate what we're doing um in our modern classrooms online, not fall back into the lecture type mode. Yeah, I think that those people whose primary teaching was teaching to very large lecture theatres and found, found that their way of emergency online teaching was just to video themselves doing those lectures, found that there was kind of missing the point. That yeah. It's, we, we need a transformation that's, that's more than that. Exactly, exactly. So what? I would give my class readings or things to do or things that they had to go away and research themselves. And then when we got online, we'd discuss them. We'd create forums that people would then, so you do all your research or your reading, then you'd go into the forum. And then when we got online, we'd start discussing what was in the forum. Of all of the things we've seen at the sort of societal level over the last few months, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Um, I hope kindness will stick, looking after each other will stick, um, getting in touch with other people and um, will stick. Uh, the way we shop is, is going to be different. Um, I used to do a lot of online shopping, now I do a lot more online shopping. Um, 
although the postage at the moment is absolutely terrible, takes six weeks to post a book to Australia. I'm not sure if that was New Zealand Post or Australian Post that held it up. Let's play You've Got a Friend in Me from the Toy Story soundtrack. Oh, great. to say, Alison, that you have the most incredible Christmas trees, probably in New Zealand, Christmas is my and, hobby. and possibly even wider. Yeah, Christmas is my hobby, and I enjoy doing craft work, so during lockdown I started creating my Christmas crafts for this year, but I've got too many now, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them all. I have eight very large Christmas trees um, that go in my house, and they are mostly decorated with things that I've made, Christmas decorations I've made. And now I've got boxes and boxes of Christmas decorations I've made and I don't know what to do with them. Do they get, full. Do they get renewed? It's, it's not the same, that's the black one and it's it's the same. Do you have, I don't know if you've got a black one. But that's the, that's yeah, the, I do have a black red, one. You do have a black have one. A... That's, the, that's the red one and it stays the same for years? Um. It gets added to every year. So I've got my black tree with my gold and silver um, decorations on it. And it was five years ago, it was a bit sparse for me. Um, but this year, at least every branch will have two decorations on it. I it have takes some. About, takes about oh. four weeks to set them all up. So the 12 days of Christmas, you don't have to all frantically take them all down on the 6th of January. They're all down by the 6th of January or around the 6th of January because it just takes that, that long to get them all down and packed away as well. So I shift everything out of the garage when I get them out. So that'll happen about Labor Weekend and then they'll start going up. And Tony is oh. a willing participant in this Christmas tree 
Tony is a very willing participant in um, in this because it's my hobby. So he helps. He knows that it's it's the thing that calms me and keeps me grounded. So I think for that reason he helps. <laughs> so I have some questions to end the show with. Yep. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, Work-wise, it has to be my ACM SIGSI Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, internationally, that was huge. It's not really recognised in New Zealand because I pe don't think people really realise what it is. Um, but that's one of my big successes. Um, the other big success is... Um, growing our campus from five students that I had in um, 2016 to over 500 now. Wow. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. So what's the superpower that's got you into our mansion? I'm female. I'm a woman. That's my superpower. And a very powerful and well-connected woman. Yeah, but you have to work hard at it too. And you have to believe in what you do. If you believe in what you do, it's it's not work anymore, is it? Um, it's fun. You like to see people achieve. I like to, to see um, uh, not just students achieve, but um, I, mean, I was a head of department for too many years to even remember. And one of the greatest things that I'd look at there was seeing my academic staff achieve or seeing all of my staff achieve whether that was um, teaching in a different way and it all worked or getting a higher qualification, even getting um, promotion within or without my at my institution. But seeing people achieve and I had a little something to do with that, that's setting them out, out on a path. Um, I remember one of my staff members came into my office and said, Oh, I'm just not quite sure what to do. And I said, well, hang on, I think you should do this master's degree. And she said she walked away and thought that poor Alison, she doesn't know how dumb I am. And what, five years later, she's got a PhD. So the, seeing seeing her achieve like that, hey, that, that's one of the things that, that I can really look back on and say, that's what I did it. The doctor of professional practice that we have at Otago Polytech we would like to be able to say is the only doctorate in the Polytech system. But for the Doctor of Computing that, that, you, that you managed to get in 2002 or something at Unitech is, is the yep. fly in our ointment. It's gone. Yes. But, we, it. but it meant that we can't be the first. Oh, okay. No, no, we were the first with that. It was a professional doctorate, Doctorate of Computing. Do you but consider yourself... Decided not to continue it. So we were back to being the only. Do you yeah. consider yourself to be an activist? Yes, I do. And I am an activist. I'm an activist in making things better for everybody. Um, I don't go and wave placards and I don't belong to a political party. But you can be an activist in, in other things by ensuring what you do in your, um, in your life and your work is ensuring everybody is equal everybody has the same equal opportunity looking out for the party it would be my own one and education would be our number one 
um, priority because if we educate people not just in reading and writing but if we educate people in now I really am on a platform if we educate people in all life skills budgeting health cooking um, and we educate them with their reading and writing we would have a lot less of the issues the societal issues that we have today so um, in that respect I'd consider I was an activist. Everybody's equal. We need everybody to have the same opportunities. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, I'd love to stay in bed in the morning. Um, what gets me out of bed in the morning? Um, just improving, improving the farm here. Um, getting my research done because when when you've finished the research I mean I've had quite a few papers I've written this year and we've got this big working group on at the moment which is we've got a big um, a big paper to be published later in the year um, seeing that seeing that finished and achieved um, oh I know I've got to do that that's what gets me out of bed in the morning what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so what challenge am I looking forward to? I am. Um, I'm very hesitant to say this on the radio, but retiring. I want to retire and spend more time with my Christmas trees, with my craft work. Um, I'd love to say I want to spend more time with my grandchildren, but hey, there's twelve of them, and I've only got two that live in Auckland. The rest of them are all over the world. And, and last... the eldest ones, the eldest ones, just been accepted for university. So, and she's been to more academic conferences than most most academics. Than most academics, absolutely, she has. Um, and she's not doing computing. And lastly, law do you... and philosophy. Do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, look around, and and see all the wonderful things that can be done and that you can do too. Um, be active, not necessarily physically active, but be active in the things that you want. Promote the things that you want. Promote the things that make um, New Zealand a better place. But thank and you. And don't be grumpy. No, don't be grumpy. No. Thank you very much for joining us. That's all right. Um, it's been a really lovely morning. Thank you. I've heard there was a secret Let's go out to Petatonic's version of Cohen's Hallelujah. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing Hallelujah. Thank you.
kitchen chair. She broke your throne and she cut your hair. And from your lips she drew the hallelujah. 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 with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've had a contribution from Tahu McKenzie. I'm a Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, with Alison Clear in Hanua, south east of Auckland. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.